Wonderful. And it's good news that um, we have a, um, a pastor of interest, a person of interest. So that is good news for our church as well. So, uh, you know, um, occasionally we call the church the, the, the grapes, okay? Each one of you are grapes. So leak a little bit and tell all your friends. And uh, <laughs> give them the news, all right, so that people can hear this young man. Okay, this morning's message is titled Proof of Love. You may have seen the movie Proof of Life. So I kind of went off of that. There is a term called Proof of Life. The Urban Dictionary says that Proof of Life is the evidence of indicating that a kidnapping victim is alive. There's a picture or a video of the victim holding a current newspaper. Now, Webster's Dictionary says proof is evidence sufficient to establish a thing is true. So I've borrowed the movie theme and given the theme of our message this morning, proof of love. We've sung about it here this morning. I'm not holding up a newspaper this morning to prove that God's love is truth. I'm holding on to the Word of God, the Word of God in which there are thousands of years of proven truth. You know, it's interesting. Archaeology continues to prove the Bible. All right, science has done its best to try to disprove it, but even now science is agreeing with archaeology. It's amazing. Thousands of years of truth right here in the Word of God. So we're talking this morning about proof of love. That's where we're going to begin, because I want to tell you, God is love. You've heard that before. He loves you and wants the best for you. And we begin where we stopped two weeks ago, and that was two weeks ago we finished an overview of chapters 1 through 4. Now, we kind of move through that quickly. Uh, that's one of those things that uh, sometime in the future, someone can go back and, and look at those chapters again. But what we're seeing here in chapters 1 through 4 is that Paul wrote this letter to the Roman house churches. And where we left off is we left Abraham being justified by faith. So I'm going to ask you some questions this morning. Don't worry, it's not a quiz, but I hope you will. we're paying attention. And I'm going to give you the answers. Uh, so the questions are simple, and so are the, the questions. So the Old Testament taught that justification, uh, the law, excuse me, uh, brought justification. They were people justified because of the law. So how could Abraham be justified by faith before the law was introduced? That's a good question. And how could Abraham be justified, justified by faith before circumcision was begun? Okay, the answers are in Romans 12, excuse me, Genesis 12, and we're, they're also in, just a moment, my pages are stuck together here. Genesis chapter 12, let me read this to you. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will, make, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Then later on, after the covenant was sealed, he said the same thing. He said he, he, he took Abraham outside. He said, look, look, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If you indeed can count them, he said, so shall your offspring be. So God promised him a great multi-ethnic family. So 
Abraham was justified by faith, by belief. He believed that God would make him the father of a great nation. God gave Abraham no assurances. He didn't give him a timeline. You see, that's something you and I would ask for. You see, you and I, we have this thing that lives within us. It's called fear. And we don't trust. We don't trust people. Sometimes we don't trust the person that we're living with. So the bottom line is this. Abraham believed God. And because of Abraham's faith, God justified him. So what does justification mean? Now, in its most simplistic forms, it means that we're made right with God. It means that our spirit is made new. It means that you have a new family. It also means you have a new future. Okay, justified means that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, listen carefully, he legalizes your citizenship in heaven. So you've heard this term used multiple times, justification by faith. Now this means, and you're going to see this in just seconds, that righteousness is imputed to you. It's imputed to the believer. So the word imputed means it's credited to you. And that means simply, very simple, Jesus is your righteousness. He's your holiness. He is your victory. He is your assurance. He is your keeper. Abraham received undeserved favor. And that's exactly what everyone receives when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Undeserved favor. Proof of that statement is in, just go back in your, your, your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. And what you will see here is this, that all are justified freely by his grace, God's grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It's a gift. We can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, but we'll talk about that just a little later. Now, most of us struggle with this thing called fear. But God accepts our faith. He accepts our faith. Now, I have a concern. I have a concern because you can't do what I've done as a minister for all the years that I've done it without meeting some people that they're religious. I call them religious Christians, and I put that in air quotes, okay? They know all the right words. They say all the right things. But my concern is that people, and even I believe some good Christians, are not holding on solidly to the Word of God. We've become tolerant. Uh, we've incorporated tolerance into our faith. Now, yes, okay, let's, don't nitpick this this morning. They believe that by doing good works, that's going to get them to heaven. They believe that if they're respectable, they believe that if they're moral, if they're helpful, if they're reliable, if they're useful, that'll get them into heaven. They believe a lot of stuff. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 simply says this, it is by grace, unmerited favor, that you've been saved. Through faith and not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So put Romans 3, 24, and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 together. Dr. Benjamin Warfield said this about God's word. And I like this. He said, the Bible is the word of God in such a way that whatever the Bible says, 
is the Word of God. Okay, let me say that again. The Bible is the Word of God in such a way that whatever the Bible says is the Word of God, Dr. Benjamin Warfield. So what I'm saying without of that quote is this, that you and I need to hear what the Scriptures are saying because God is speaking to us through His Word. In chapter 5, and that's where we are today, Paul is teaching that we've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That means that every one of us who has come to faith in Him through Jesus Christ um, is not going to come before God for, for judgment. You know, there are certain benefits. That's the um, secondary title here. There are certain benefits for the person that has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're going to look at those this morning. And I believe that you will definitely see proof of love from God. In verses 1 through 5, Paul is literally singing his confidence in God. So I'm, I'm going to briefly take these verses apart this morning. Verse 1. It says here, and I'm reading from the New International. You may have the New uh, Living Translation. Some of you may have the English Standard or the New American Standard. There's all sorts of differentiations in words. I'll do my best to bring them all together. But therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the word peace. Therefore, we have been justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about world peace. The UN's been trying to do that since its formation shortly after World War II. And we all don't know what the, where that, that's gotten us. We're, we're not talking about world peace. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you will have peace through and with our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let me put it to you this way. There will be no charges against you. Your peace comes knowing that your sins are forgiven. That's a great thing. Now, that's a great thing. Your sins are forgiven. Everything is good between you, your soul, and God. That's the peace we're talking about here. Now, Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I'm quoting, this, I'm quoting this from J. Vernon McGee. This is what he says about... Let me give you an idea of the peace that he's talking about here. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've sort of remembered that from the King James. But McGee translates it this way. By the way, he was a Greek scholar and a Hebrew scholar. I know he's got this old gravelly voice, and he sounds like an old country preacher, but he had multiple doctrines. This is the way he translated I love it. He said, come to me, and I will rest you. Isn't that refreshing? Come to me, and I will rest you. So remember, it's only when you, are, you accept salvation offered by Jesus that your sins are forgiven, and there will be peace uh, with your soul, with, with God. Now, the second word we have is in verse 2. It's the word access. And... Um, Okay, through whom we have gained access by faith into this great, in his grace in which we now stand. By the way, there's so many things that I'm not tearing apart in this verse. The, the word there, stand, is a very important thing because uh, we have a, okay, I won't get into the weeds too far, but there's a thing of such a stature and standing. 
And that's a whole message in and of itself. So here we are, we're looking at this Greek word called access. It's the Greek word prosagoge. It's P-R-O-S-A-G-O-G-E. All right, it's used for introducing someone to royalty. It's also a, the regular word used for our approach to worship. Okay, did you put the two things together here? We have access, and when we come to God, we have access. God is royalty, and that's how we should, we should proceed toward him. It, it's the regular word used for the approach of, of worship for God. When you place your faith in Jesus, you've been introduced to royalty. And when you come to worship, brothers and sisters, when you come to worship, you are worshiping royalty. Now, Paul opened the door for us here to the presence of the King of Kings, and, and, and what you will find when you meet and when you talk with Jesus is grace, wonderful grace, inconceivable kindness. This same word, prosagoge, it, it's also used to indicate harbor, a harbor of safety. A harbor of safety and a haven of rest. Boy, I like that word. Sadly, when we try to find peace or rest or comfort on our own, listen, we find ourselves tempest-tossed in a storm of our own making. If you really are looking for peace and access, perhaps you need to change your idea, your thought process of how you were approaching God. Royalty. Now, you all, most of you know the story. Years ago, when Princess Diana was alive, I met her in Vail, Colorado. I turned around and literally bumped into her. And her security was on me like, oh my goodness, it was. <clears throat> they were there. They scared the living daylights out of me. And all I could do was go, oh my goodness. And I'm <laughs> but I felt, when I told Cindy, she didn't believe me. She didn't believe me. And I said, come here, come here, come here. And they're walking down the street, uh, her security guards uh, around her. And I said, that's her. I want to tell you what Cindy's comment was. Now, Diana, had, she had, this when her hair was long. She had it in a, a ball cap. She was in shorts. She had wear, was wearing a tank top. And she was just slouched a little bit. And she goes, oh, my goodness, she has poor posture. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. That's how we should approach. That's how we should approach God, overwhelmed. So anyhow, this is what you receive. You, you, you have been given incredible hope, and that brings us to the very next word in verse 2. All right, and, uh, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All right, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Each believer has this hope. All right, each believer is given this hope that we're talking about here. It means that we have a future. We have a future. We have something to look forward to. When I die, I know I will be in heaven with my Savior. Some, honestly... Young folks, anybody younger than, than, than 50 here this morning, <laughs> the older you get, the more precious that becomes to you. 
knowing that when you die, you will see your Savior. It's amazing. That's the hope that we have. You see, we're living in this time of affluence and, and plenty. But for those who don't know Jesus, you know what? They have no future. Please hear that. They have no future. Your friends, your family who do not know Jesus Christ, they have no future. What they do have and, and what you may have is your toys, your money, your houses. But you have no hope for the future. You can have all the pleasures of the world, but if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you do not have a hope that will save you. You see, the world today is looking for hope. They're looking for something to hold on to. And that explains the restlessness throughout the world today. They want to hold on to something. I firmly believe that this hopelessness has driven many to alcohol and drugs and misery and depression and despondency, but the child of God has a blessed hope. Let me give you, give you a verse that might explain that to you. Romans 8, 28. It's a, it's a go-to verse. And we know that all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Everything's not going to go perfectly in your life. Because God allows us to go through tests and trials, but we have our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. The Christian that, that knows the Christian knows that nothing's going to separate him from the love of God. Now in verse three, we have, okay, a couple of words here: rejoice or glory. ESV, NLT. It says rejoice, and I, yeah, the NIV as well, and glory. I think I forget. I think that's the NLT. Anyhow, re rejoice or glory in what? Not only so, but we, re we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, we're not good at that. Not one single one of us here this morning. We're not good at rejoicing in our sufferings. All right, because we know. That suffering produces perseverance. The NLT says we glory in our sufferings. Here's a hard fact. It's very difficult to be a Christian today. Christians often struggle to live out their faith. It's difficult for the Christian to keep our walk alive and vital. But the unbeliever has nothing, as we've talked about just moments ago, nothing to hold on to. And that's the reason why there's so much gloom and dejection among those who don't know Jesus. They don't have, a, they don't have an anchor. Well, there's a hymn, we have an anchor. We have an anchor that holds our soul. All right. But trouble, but suffering produces courage. Now, many believers, many Christians don't like this aspect of following Jesus. They don't like this because they didn't sign on to Jesus to experience trouble. All right. But let me give you a couple of verses that just prove your own idea. Take off your rose-colored glasses, and this is what James says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will be persecuted. Rejoice. Put that on the screen, please. Glory. Take joy in your suffering. 
The Greek word that Paul uses here is philipsis. It literally means pressure. And I know that most of us have walked into this room here today to worship God that are dealing with some sort of pressure in our lives. There are many things that create pressure. I'm only going to give you just, I think, three or four here this morning. Okay, teens not being accepted into the group, being blocked out. Adults being ignored by some of those, your contemporaries, people that you thought were friends. Um, Sorrow, pain, death, persecution. Pressure produces endurance. All right. This pressure, thalipsis, produces endurance, perseverance. Now we go to verse 4. Perseverance develops character and character hope. Okay. The, the word that Paul's talking about here, this endurance, this perseverance, is the spirit that doesn't passively tolerate the pressure or the trouble. It, it, it's the spirit that actively works to overcome the trials and, and the worry and the suffering and the problems and the mess that you're facing. When Beethoven was for, uh, threatened with deafness, this is what he said, I will take life by the throat. Endurance is when the spirit meets things head on and overcomes. Now, I know some of you here have have endured some very difficult physical things. There's two people, Charlotte and Sandra and Oath of the Three. There's three people I I can think of here this morning. Excuse me? Barbara, Barbara, yes. I could could name several others as well. You, You could shout them out. But they've endured all sorts of difficulties. But I want you to look at three words that are associated with trouble. Now, um, put that up on the screen, please. All right, so this is what we have here. One is joy. We're to have joy. That doesn't mean, oh, good, I've lost $3,000 in the stock market. I'm happy about that. Okay, it means we're going to trust God we're going to trust God that even though we've lost the money, God's going to provide for us. Okay, we have glory, all right? Um, another is hope. Hope in Jesus Christ, hope in my future. The third is patience, perseverance. God has to work sometimes these attitudes and actions within us. Now, let me explain it this way. Imagine that you own an orchard. And the only way that you, the arborist, can get fruit out of your trees is by pruning the branches. The only way God can get fruit out of the life of a believer, a follower of Jesus, is by pruning our lives. Some of us are pruned more than others. I don't know why. I can't answer that question that you might ask. I've asked it myself. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But in verse 4, you see another thing here on the screen. It says, perseverant endurance. It develops character and strength. The Greek word that Paul uses here is dokume. It means metal that's been used, been put through the fire, and purged of all of its impurities. Okay. Some of us may have strong wills. Um, you know what, that's a good thing, but sometimes when we're super stubborn, that's a bad thing. 
And God's going to prune that stubbornness. So for those of you who, I, I guess you would consider, I hope you would consider I'm a New Englander. I've been here almost 50 years. I wasn't born here, but I've been here. I've lived here. But the bottom line is, many New Englanders say, I'm stubborn. I'm proud of it. I've heard some of you say it. Now, God is going to continue to prune that stubbornness in your life. So, he may continue to put you through the test, the fire, to purge out the impurities. All of the pollutants. Jesus told us this in John 16, He says, in the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation, depending on which translation you're using. But be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. The point here is when you meet affliction, you need to face it in strength because you will emerge stronger. You will emerge better. You will emerge nearer to God. You will emerge purer. Yes, you may be put through the fire, some of it by our own doing, others because that's what God desires of us to purify us, to bring us and draw us closer to him. All right, with promises like these that we have here, so we have peace, we have access, we have hope, we have perseverance. Uh, with, with promises like these, we should, never, we should never shudder or back away from God in trusting Him or, or quit or, or, or when we're overwhelmed or when we're, we're struggling, when we feel hopeless and we feel the situation is not going to work out that way, the way we want it. You know what? God is there with us. And if we suffer with him, now hear me, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Now, in verses 4b and 5a, character produces hope. Two men can meet the same challenge, the same situation differently. You can drive one to hopelessness and spur the other one on to bold action. Here's a quote that I found from William Barclay. It says this, you may not like the crisis that you're involved in, but he said you can like the opportunities they provide. Now that's a, that's a person who is very positive, not a pessimist at all. You may not like the crisis, but you can like the opportunities that they provide. Well, when your hope is in God, it cannot be disappointed. When your hope is in the love of God, that hope is backed by the power of God. The indwelling love of God in our lives is proof that we are saved. Verse 5. We have the last thing that I'm going to be looking at here, one of the benefits this morning. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in this book. You see, at just the right time, now these, were, these words were read just at the very beginning of our service here this morning. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man sometimes might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. 
So the last benefit we have that's given here is the Holy Spirit. We're told that the Holy Spirit's given to every believer. Not to some, but to every believer. Now some of the people we know are Christians, but they don't live like we do. But God still has placed the Holy Spirit within them. And you see, that's a whole series of messages too. We can talk about the filling of the Spirit. All right, anyhow. You see, at just the right time, verse 6, while we are still powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly. Ungodly sinners who are actually his enemies, who hated him. You can't keep God from loving you. God demonstrated his love for you in that he gave his son to die for you. He paid the penalty of sin for you. But you have to come to him his way, not your way. And that's a mistaken idea that many have today. I'll come to God my way. I'll do a lot of good things. You have to come to him through faith. John 14, 6, a favorite verse of mine. No man comes to the Father except they come through me. Verse 7, I honestly don't know if, I, I have some friends. Believe it or not, I have friends. But I don't have one of them that I know of that would die for me. I, I know my wife would. I've seen what she's done for me through 47 years of marriage. I know she would do that. But it would take every bit of courage that she has to do that. But I know one who would die for me, one who did die for me, and that was Jesus Christ. He loved me that much. He loves you that much. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that while, I like to say it this way, and while we were still sinning, he died. He died for us. Jesus died for you and me, and that's where he reveals his love. You see proof of love. It's all through this message. I found this in lectures in Romans from Harry Ironside. And it's um, part of a little poem. I'm not sure if he wrote it or not. But it goes like this. He saves us by his grace. Of grace, then, let us sing a joyful, wondrous theme. Who grace is brought shall glory bring, and we shall reign with him. Lord, thank you. Of grace, let us sing, Lord. A wonderful, wonderful theme. And that's what we've been talking about. Jesus, you brought that grace. God, it was given to us through him. And Father, I thank you for the privilege that we will have to be with you in heaven when we accept Jesus as our loving Savior. Honestly, if you haven't made that decision today, you need to make it. Paul also writes in the book of Corinthians, he said, today is the accepted day. Today is the time. Don't put it off. 
And believer, if you've struggled with your walk, one more time, turn it over to God. And make your, your, your heart right with him. Let nothing between your soul and your, and your Savior. Loving Father, you have blessed us with your love. It, it really is difficult to talk about love because it's, it's very hard for us to put into words. But Lord, the, the greatest one of the greatest verses uh, I've ever read is that while we were still sinning, you died. And you loved. And we have grace and we've been justified. We've been made right with you. We have a new family. We have a future. Oh God, you have blessed us. And I pray that as we leave today, Lord, we will leave knowing that you love us. And that you accept us. And you forgive us. And you want us in your family. So Lord, I pray, would you bless us today with your spirit. Move us through this week, Lord, to bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.